welcome to a new episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. I am your host, Marcus Hall. This is the Sunday Sermon. We are continuing in Galatians, and we are now in chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 12 through 20. This would be uh, Paul's fear of the Galatians' return to bondage, so therefore it's his personal appeal to them. Uh, and we'll get in that in one second. Um, if, uh, if you're just a sermon listener on Sundays, part of the church I attend, uh, there are other episodes that have been released in this last week on a crash course through the Bible. Uh, there's parts one and two. There'll be two episodes a week for a few weeks, a handful anyway, um, every Tuesday and Thursday at noon on the podcast so that you can listen to those. A very over uh, simplified uh, take on the Bible as a whole. And uh, it's on, it's right now, it's uh, on the Old Testament and the eras and explains those a little bit just to give, give you a little bit of a, a foundational work to better understand the Bible and the timeline that's going on. Uh, whether you're a new student or an old student of the word. So uh, check those out, and uh, I guess that's about it. So we're going to get back into this here. Uh, we are just recording the audio and distributing this out in this way instead of recording a live sermon because we uh, are have suspended services for a bit because COVID cases were very high. Um, looks like... We are in tier three when we could be going to down to uh, tier two here soon in a week or so. So we may be able to resume services as long as everyone feels safe. So uh, looking forward to getting back to that and uh, and doing it that way again. All right. So at this point in this letter of Galatians, Paul's made a lot of powerful statements. All right. Uh, he's defended like his apostleship and authority to preach the gospel that was given as a revelation of Christ in him uh, to rebukes from stepping away from the table of the Gentiles to one of the biggest shocking truths to the Jews that the Jews are not sons of Abraham just because of their lineage or their bloodline. But faith faith which can include everyone outside of their type and shadow privilege okay so today we'll see paul taking a break from defense and also um, instruction and correction so that he can actually just he's going to speak uh, from his heart his personal appeal and it's it's not that it hasn't been heartfelt to this point it's it's more that it seems very personal like a parent setting the 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 heat of the moment aside <laughs> uh, to address their child or after the the heat of the drama has started to die down hey let's start over you know sort of let's just talk about this for a moment it could be a number of things like that but what it boils down to is seeing godly leadership within Paul here, all right? And there's this foundation that a godly leader works uh, from that that cannot be compromised regardless of the cost, all right? So today we're going to look at the heart of a true godly leader 
specifically in verse 12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, because as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. All right, so he's, he pleads to these people now. All right, the ESV reads, I entreat you, while other translations read, I beg of you, which is to make a request or to ask with urgency. So he's making a request that they become like him, and what he's referring to is to be free from the law. Okay, so he's he's writing to these Galatian Gentiles who are being enticed to walk into the that that bondage of the law of Moses, and so he's urging them to remember he was a Jew who at he had adhered to every jot and every tittle before he came to Christ. But once he came to Christ, he was set free from the law, right? I also have become as you are. I became like a Gentile, free from the law. So Paul was set free from the law by the freedom that only Jesus brings. All right, so the focus in that one line is in one specific area in which the Galatians should be like him. They are to imitate Paul in that he was free from the law just like they were. And Paul often told believers to follow his example. In Philippians 4.9, it says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So to us, it, it could be a little strange for Paul to challenge people to imitate him uh, in every area, almost it seems like, of his life. But most of us would, would rather say, don't follow me follow Christ, right? But we should all all actually be able to say with these things with Paul because he seemed to say it often. First uh, Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. He was so confident in who he, who he was in Jesus that he, he could tell others to look at me if you need the example Here's all these things I've instructed you uh, about all of these, uh, you know, these truths of the gospel. If you're still lost or confused on that, just look at me and you'll see how I live my life. All right. And then Paul says, you've done me no wrong. All right. Well, it'd be easy for for them to think he spoke out of personal hurt up to this point in this letter. But Paul's assuring them that's not the case. Uh, Paul clearly admits he fears his labor has been in vain, but he does he does not take uh, the failure of others as a personal offense at all. He's not offended by this, and this is the mark of, of a spiritual leader who can get past hurts and think clearly as the Spirit gives him wisdom and knowledge. All right, so if you hear background noise, that's the heat kicking on. <laughs> not turning it off. Okay, so Paul does not consider them enemies, right? That who who have hurt him or injured him in any way. You've done me no wrong. So for them to become as he is may also mean that he wants them to adopt that same mentality uh, that we are brethren, not enemies. All right, so moving on, 13 and 14. You know, it was because of a bodily element that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. All right, so uh, Paul was compelled to travel into that region because of some type of uh, physical infirmity he suffered uh, while he was on his first missionary journey. And during a stay with the, the Galatians, he preached the gospel to them. So it's, it's interesting to think of an apostle doing the work of the Lord and moving in signs and wonders uh, was suffering of something uh, that was bodily, bodily because he clearly says here a bodily ailment. All right. We also know that Paul didn't didn't send a holy handkerchief to uh, to Timothy along with this letter that he sent to Timothy, so Timothy could be healed. So uh, why why <laughs> you know I'll leave that for another time. But God's sovereignty is on display there. All right. So if but a side note, if we believe all the people teaching today that a Christian should not or cannot get sick and that it is always 100% God's will to heal, then we have a problem because that just doesn't align with God's word. Okay, whether this illness uh, or whatever this illness was, I don't know what it was, there's debate on it, but it was debilitating for Paul to some degree. All right, so the, the, the question was then raised, like how is it possible for Paul to be sick or have this bodily ailment? like this if he is an apostle, if he's um, uh, of God. And the answer is that even godly people get sick or hurt and, uh, and, and he's displayed that, right? So Paul's being used by God and yet he was sick. So the only conclusion that we can come to is that godly people get sick. God uses sickness like everything else. It's for his glory. So apparently Paul's sickness was used of God to bring the gospel to the Galatians. So his initial vis visit there was a trial to them, he says. All right, as it was a temptation for them to shun him in his condition. They could have scorned or despised or loathed him, but they didn't. Uh, he says that, and which helps us to understand that whatever this, this was that Paul was going through or suffering from wasn't something minor. It wasn't uh, just a uh, a limp, you know. It 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 had to have been something serious, because the 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 words used here lend to to that since since despise is to regard with utter contempt, or at least to disregard. So, um, even though he we do have a. Another account of Paul talking about the thorn in his side, and it was a messenger of uh, Satan. So people, can we can debunk that and say that wasn't an illness. Here we have proof that there was some sort of uh, bodily, physical uh, thing going on. All right, so um, in spite of that, all right, in, in spite of however he appeared because of this, the reception, that that was given to him was was welcoming and warm um it, it was far from just tolerating him they they received him warmly all right as uh as an angel or as christ himself there's only one explanation for a response like that and the reception of paul was not conditioned by his human appeal it was dependent upon the message 
that he brought, the truth of the gospel by which the Galatians were saved. All right, so again, we see that God uses sickness or physical uh, ailments uh, for his glory. So despite whatever's going on with Paul here, they accepted him as they would have accepted Christ. All right, verse 15. Um, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So their relationship with Paul seems to be so good that their reception of the gospel was so enthusiastic that they spoke of that time as a period of blessedness and a period of great joy. They were obviously grateful to Paul for having shown them the way to forgiveness and salvation. And Paul points out the irony of the situation here that when Paul had been plagued with this uh, infirmity, the, the Galatians had ignored uh, the appearance and accepted him. And when Paul wrote the epistle, the, re- the relationship had cooled. But Paul probes the reason for the faltering friendship in verse 15, that, that they had once felt blessed by Paul's uh, presence but no longer. They had once been willing to pluck out their, their own very own eyes. Uh, but now it seems that sacrifice had turned to rejection. So what would have brought about that dramatic change? And the answer is in the next verse. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul had become their enemy by telling them the truth. Paul had been warmly received because of the truth. And now he's given a cold shoulder because of the truth. Paul seems to be public enemy number one because the false teachers have come in and undermined his apostleship and his gospel. And what they're undermining is the truth. So it's not just that someone's undermining you. They're undermining God. They're, they're undermining the, the, his, his word. And, and then, then that, all this division and this, these problems take place. So that those, those who tell us the truth really cuts us deeply, all right? They're not automatically our enemies. They, they may be our best friends that we actually have, all right? The very fact that Paul even asks such a thing indicates a very serious problem with the makeup of humanity, right? An enemy, by definition, is one who seeks to bring harm to somebody, so he can never use the truth because the truth only brings uh, benefit and blessing. So the question that Paul asked has some serious implications for us, for humanity, for man. How do we react when someone says things that we do not want to hear? Right? Do we write them off as an enemy and then never consider what they have to say? Or do we seriously consider the charge to see if it really has merit in it. And uh, this this speaks so loud today, I'll just go off on a tangent <laughs> right now, um, that this is very obvious and clear right now in our culture. It's one 
side against the other. That one man's truth is their truth and I have my own. All right. The issue with that is man alone can only have so much of what they consider to be their truth because it's not truth if it's not God's truth. If it's not a biblical worldview, then it's just secular humanism, you know. Um, it could be all sorts of isms, um, but constantly we are hearing one one version or one narrative and then you change the channel or change the podcast and hear another narrative it's really hard to get an unbiased uh take on things that are happening <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's with the news or uh you know politics or race uh dealing with you know r- racism or uh, even in the church now, dealing with God's word, all right? Um, and it, it's on Facebook and people's posts and then all the dialogue and the comments and people are shut down really fast. I don't want to hear that. So I turn away, I turn you away, I delete you or I unfollow you or I unfriend you or I, I block you. You are no longer a friend, you are now an enemy. Because what you said uh, is something I don't want to hear. It does not align with my view or my worldview. This is something that um, unfortunately even takes place in the church. All right. So somebody could be totally wrong on something. It doesn't mean you have to get so angry that it causes a fight. Um uh, there, there are people that are will seem to be maybe more radical or dramatic in one stance of a particular belief or doctrine than than you may be, and you ought to be able to just dialogue and converse about that and to see why. It doesn't mean you have to think that that person is completely bonkers, you know. So, uh, and I've had numerous amount of conversations with people that disagree on maybe just a biblical doctrine or there's people who are not Christian at all. And I will have um, a good, healthy conversation, a dialogue back and forth, and I will let them know that my the, the standard of truth from which I'm coming from and in, in the ways that I will ask questions and then answer um, is God's Word, the Bible. <clears throat> and um, I think it's healthy to do that. It's totally fine, all right? So right now we have these people. Um, in if you haven't seen in the last week in the news, all right, like the Congress prayer, uh, the guy who gave the prayer at the beginning of the first, uh, I think it was the 111th Congress uh, gathering, was uh, he's a Methodist preacher. And he said a prayer, and he ended that prayer by offering offering it up to many gods, not just the God, but many gods, and then he ended it with a man and a woman. Uh, everyone is freaking out about the a man, a woman, because a man is Hebrew, for so be it. It has nothing to do with gender. 
So there's no reason to say a woman. Um, however, that shows the narrative and the agenda, whatever is objective to them, that that that's that word amen could be offensive. So let's say a woman as well, even though on other days they say there's no such thing as just a man and a woman because there's hundreds of different genders. So it's very uh, <laughs> complicated when you get into the liberal view of these things. However, the, the main concern would be that he offered the prayer up to many gods. And obviously that's wrong. Uh, and I mean, uh, my point being is people soon found out he's a pastor and he's a Methodist pastor. Therefore, they want to write off the Methodist church just like that. Um, you have to understand there's different sections, uh, different branches, if you will, that all gather under the the umbrella term of Methodist. All right. Same thing. I've talked so many times about charismatic, evangelical and Calvinist under those those uh, names are going to be different, different uh, groups of people. All right. So to to think that the Methodist church is just no good because of one guy uh, would, would be the wrong attitude or wrong view. Uh, so same with uh, Ralph Warnock, who uh, this week won the the Senate race in Georgia. Um, he is known as a reverend at a Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, in my opinion, he is not a pastor at all um, for everything that he believes. He he is not a <laughs> he he would say or people would say he's liberal, a liberal theologian or a liberal Christian. Um, I would say no, because everything that you say comes from your Christian worldview is actually uh, not in view with God's word. It's not at all. So he's a false teacher. All right. Um, however, that doesn't mean that just because the church he goes to has the title Baptist into it, uh, in it, that we are to reject all Baptists. You have to be uh, very careful on these things these days. Anyway. That's the that's the point. Do we do we write these people off as an enemy? Never consider what they say, or do we seriously consider the charge and see if it's really has merit in it? All right. So the main point then, because I went opposite there, is someone comes to you in love and talks about something that you do in your life or something that you believe and shows you in Scripture how that does not align. You need to search that out then in Scripture and come into alignment with God's Word on what that says. And then if that thing that you're doing is not in alignment, it needs to come out of you. You need to do away with it. All right, so verse 17. They, uh, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Okay. Now, who's they here? They is re referring to the false teachers, the false prophets that have Im infiltrated into the church and uh, um, in the, the region of Galatia. 
And he acknowledges the fact that these legalists have demonstrated an, a very intense interest for them. All right, so he's saying they earnestly desire you. They want you on their side. They do this because they demonstrate a great commitment to you, but it's not for a good reason, all right? The reason is to get you to commit yourselves to them because they, they want to shut you out from me so that you would desire to have fellowship only with them and them alone. So he's, he's saying that the false teachers were teaching in such a way as to create a dependency on them in the lives of the believers, all right? They want the Galatian Christians to be totally dependent on them, their words, their teachings, etc. Very relevant for today as well. Verse 18 and 19, it is, uh, it is always good to be made much uh, for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am, am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So he admits here he's not wrong to eager, eagerly seek to win their affection as long as it is for their good welfare. All right, But by the very way that Paul states this principle, he calls us to be careful that we are not seeking the affections of others for our own selfish reasons or advantages. Paul's focus was upon the benefit of the Christians, of the disciples. All right, The false teacher's focus was upon the disciples' contribution to the teacher's benefit. But here, Paul, is, is, his focus is upon the disciples' benefit, not his. So Paul refers to his readers using that term, uh, my little children, right? That's, that's an expression that the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, John used. Um, and it's probably the warmest uh, uh, passage that Paul has written in, in this letter here. So he tells them he is suffering for them the kind of pain that a woman experiences when she gives birth to a child. He says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, a lot of commentators, most commentators see this as Paul talking about their growth in practical Christianity and practical sanctification. And the, the Greek word here uh, for formed is important because it carries this ideal of essence or nature rather than the outward appearance or shape. All right, so it doesn't refer to acting like Jesus, but being like Jesus. So Paul is laboring until Christ is formed in them, all right, until these believers take on the nature of Jesus. All right, so if Paul is going through this anguish again, the only conclusion that makes sense to me is that since they are now mixing gospel and law, they are now living in a false gospel and a false faith. So Paul's suffering again to see this removed so Christ can be formed in them completely again by getting rid of the falseness. All right, Verse 20, uh, I believe this is the last verse we'll look at. 
I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So it's very uh, <laughs> roller coasterish, if you will, of mix of emotions here. But when he says he's perplexed about them, um, the Greek is more instructive. It means to be without resources, to be in doubt, not to know which way to turn. Not, you know, these words are the words of a shepherd who cares and who loves these people too much, right, to simply let the falsehood just overtake them. So even though this is uh, a rebuke and it is the Spirit of God who is grieved because of their behavior, okay, uh, Paul concludes that cur- this current line of thought to the Galatians, expressing a sincere wish that he could be with them. He, he is a, seems to be aware that his tone toward them may, may be coming across harshly, um, and after all, he is he is asked if they consider him an enemy now, after once honoring him and the message of salvation through faith in in Jesus so highly. But and he's used strong language about their beginning to follow the law because of the false teachings of the Judaizers. He's even called them foolish. Um, but Paul's motiv- motivation for this approach is is love. It's loving, and he's he's right to do so. All right, so for anyone to consider rejecting God's grace through faith in Christ in order to just be judged by their own ability to keep the law is foolish. Here, though, Paul seems concerned that he might put the Galatians off with his harshness, even if he writes to them out of a sincere love. He wishes he could be with them face to face so they could see in his eyes how deeply concerned he is for them that they could hear the tone of his voice how often do we uh, get tripped up by a text message or a comment or a post in social media because we read into it what the person the original author did not intend right so he wants to be face to face he says that he's just honestly perplexed about them Right, he he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He struggles to understand what has happened to them. So that concludes this section here of his personal appeal. And in the following verses, Paul will leave behind that personal appeal, and he's going to go forward. He's going to return to making the case from Scripture again about why it is foolish to want to be under the law of Moses instead of depending on. Uh, faith alone in Christ.